What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three professional award givers with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and there are no snubs here. I'm Keith Baker, and I wish I was as passionate as Rami Malek about No Time to Die. And I'm Austin Terry. And guys, I gotta say, the Academy definitely got it wrong when they gave Tommy Lee Jones an Oscar for The Fugitive. Keith and I definitely like that movie better and Tommy Lee Jones, but I also don't think the Academy got that one right. Ray Fiennes, Schindler's List, did not win. <laughs> ah, sorry, Baltimore. On today's show, we are going to be hosting our second Arn Academy Awards. But before we get into all that good stuff, Austin, is there anything else you've been putting out the audience should check out? Yeah, Matt. Well, unfortunately, last week we had the end of the year talking about The Matrix Resurrections. So we all got to take a look back at The Matrix Trilogy and then share our thoughts on movie number four. But before that, we got a chance to check out what may win the best movie of the year on this show. And that was Spider-Man No Way Home, my friends. If you haven't seen it, we all loved it. Go check it out and then come on back to that episode to hear our thoughts. That's right. It really was a shame because we are, of course, recording this episode. This is our first episode we are recording in 2022, and this will be the first episode we put out in 2022. And Dawson, you're right. You know, I think we were really hoping that 2021 would end well with The Matrix 4. But alas, it did not. It did not. At least we got to have a homeless Frenchman scream at us during the movie. Yeah, who was like, <laughs> who was a big character in the past movies. And then, I mean, they don't even really acknowledge that he's the same character. <laughs> it was so weird. Oh, what a film. What a film. Uh, actually, I'm going to do a late submission, guys. I think that might be uh, the best picture of the year, but we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, but let's get into the show. Today, we are kicking off 2022 right with our Arn Academy Awards, which is celebrating all the good and the bad stuff we covered on the podcast in 2021. We've each submitted our own categories, and then the rest of us would fill out each with our own personal nominees. So today, we're going to go through each category, present our nominees, and talk through what we think should win it all. So if you like our bracket format discussions, this will have a little bit of that flair. Austin and Keith, any thoughts before we jump into the ceremony? Yeah, I got to say, I think looking back at everything, everything new we talked about this year, I think there were a lot more duds than standout movies this year. The good movies were really good. But the bad ones were really bad this year. So we'll have to see if that trend continues into 2022. Yeah, I was just surprised how fast this year went because there were so many things I wanted to put down for the awards and nominees. And I was like, wait, I can't put that. That was 20, that was 2020. And there was so much I was thinking about, like Mandalorian, Star Wars stuff, uh, anything else we covered in 2020. Where I was like, we already did awards for that. So it was, it was kind of hard to go back and revisit what we did in 2021 because it just flew by. Yeah, I agree with you. And to Austin's point, I don't know. I think at the beginning of the year, I think we were all really excited that streamers like HBO Max were giving us opportunities to not have to be scared to go to movie theaters and let us watch stuff like the new releases at home. But you're right. Now that the year is over and we've gone back and put our awards in, I don't think that was a bad thing they did that, of course. But there was just way more duds. Even though that was an exciting prospect, it's not like the movies they put out at least a lot of them weren't very good. It also, um, during the year, it also felt like we were covering a lot of new movies. But looking at looking back now, there really wasn't a ton of new stuff. Like we did a good amount, but there wasn't a whole lot. And just looking ahead at our schedule for 2022, it's like week after week after week is a new yeah. release. So next year is mm -hmm. going to be a lot more packed awards for nominees, I think. Yeah. They'd be like pushed everything from 2021 to next year, which is the exact same conversation we had last year. Like, oh, it's going to be great. They're pushing all the 2020 stuff to 2021. And then 
it just turned out most of those movies sucked. <laughs> so let's hope, fingers crossed, 2022 is a lot better. I, I, I have high hopes. I think it's going to be good. Well, before we fully get into 2022, we got to take one last look back at 2021 and hand out some awards. So with that, without further ado, everybody, for one last time, grab your tux, grab your dress, whatever you want to wear, get all fancied up. We're heading to the ceremony. Let's do this. And if you're Jared Leto, grab a paper mache mold of your head and carry that with you. All right. So the first award to give out, you know, we are not going to make you all wait. We're getting to a good one right off the bat. Austin, this is your award. Set us up. What you got for us? Yeah, so this award will be the best performance of the year. Uh, we got to start things off positive. Of course, there were tons of fantastic performances this year, but there were three nominees, I think, that stood out from the rest of the pack, and the nominees are... Hamish Linklater for Midnight Mass. Samantha Sloyan, also for Midnight Mass. And Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom. All right, so two Midnight Masses. I, w- I was kind of expecting that. I know there was... I know this category is like all encompassing actors, actresses, movies and TV. But whenever we uh, set this one up, I was like, we got to have multiple midnight masses on there. But Andrew Garfield was my other pick. So I guess I got to say, I think we got this right. I think this makes sense to me. Yeah, I think Andrew Garfield just brought so much to Tick, Tick, Boom, especially for singing, doing something he had never done before, something nobody knew he could do. But I got to say, those monologues from Hangless Linklater and Midnight Mass, man, was he engaging for the majority of that show. Yeah, and then for mine, I think you have one of the best villains of the year with Bev Keen. And I think a big reason for that is Samantha Sloyne's performance. It was like, ah, it's just the peak in terms of one of those characters that you want to like at the beginning. And then you're like, oh, I don't I don't know if I like them. And then by the end, you're like, this is one of the most sadistic people I've ever (laughs) seen. And it's never like overacting either. It's just like, oh, it's so good. Yeah, I loved all three of these. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and start with Andrew Garfield. Yeah, I, I really did like him in Tick, Tick, Boom. While I did not really enjoy the movie all that much, <laughs> I think what I did enjoy about it was his performance uh, and his singing and his ability to dance and, and put songs together and, and just make it fun. Um, then Father Paul, of course, you already said it, Austin, his monologues as the priest and just how he can sl- he slowly brought it from, from it being like this innocent Catholic church to it being like a, a vampire uh, <laughs> uh, motivated background. Oh, mm-hmm. Man, it was just nuts. And uh, I think he brought the, the emotion to it really well. And then with Bev Keen, not much needed. She was just so creepy throughout the entire experience. You could just feel the tension in every room that she was in. Now that we're kind of talking about it, I do like Austin's point. Um, Andrew Garfield, I think, definitely gets extra points for like never having professionally sang before and just really not only giving an emotional performance through the non-singing stuff, but then whenever the musical numbers hit, even though I didn't love a lot of them, I still think he was always great. But now, even though I submitted Samantha Sloan, I think um, the Hamish Linklater points that you guys are talking about, I think that character has a pretty incredible arc, whereas, you know, Bev Keen is like the villain of the show. So there's less of an arc there, but I really was surprised um, by the end of Midnight Mass, found I found myself really kind of sympathizing with Father Paul and understanding why he tried to do what he did in terms of like the vampire and the blood and all that stuff with with this community. Um, 
And I don't think that would have worked with many other actors. So I think the reason we kind of understand him by the end is because of Hamish Linklater. So I, may, I don't know. Maybe I'm kind of leaning towards giving that an award now that I'm thinking about it. I think the really interesting about Hamish Linklater's performance is he should be the villain of the show. Yes. But the way he portrays that character, by the end, you're almost rooting for him to mm-hmm. like make it back to, to what he believes in because he, he did get twisted by kind of the vampire stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that they made this guy do some pretty despicable stuff, but you still sympathize with him for the whole show and you can understand his motivation, that's just a tribute to the way Hamish Linklater plays the character. And, and I think, like you said, Matt, I can't imagine anybody else in that role either. So I think I'm, le- I think I'm leaning that direction as well. Um, it's kind of like the same thing I said with like Andrew Garfield. It's like I'm giving him extra points in my head because I didn't know he could sing and then he knocked it out of the park. But I'm also, I think, giving Hamish Linklater and Samantha Sloyan extra points because I had seen them both before in kind of smaller roles and things. Like Hamish Linklater, I saw him in like the big short. Um, and this is like his big coming out party. And it's like, that's kind of cool too. So I like giving that kind of thing extra points as well. All right. Well, I think that pretty much sums it up. I'm going to go ahead and lean towards and vote for Hamish Linklater. Yeah. Um, I was thinking I might go with another person for Midnight Mass, but after kind of thinking about it and your guys' points, I got to say you swayed me. Just like Father Paul swayed a lot of people to drink um, blood and not realize it was wine. So I'm also voting for Hamish Linklater. All righty. Well, then officially the winner for best performance of 2021 is, and also getting my vote, Hamish Linklater for Midnight Mass. Nice, nice. Congratulations. Okay, so let's get into our next award, and this is an award that's very near and dear to everybody on this podcast's heart. Yeah. And that is the honorary Mark Hamill Most Improved Actor of the Year for 2021. Um, This award was first given to Mark Hamill due to his drastic improvement in his acting ability from episode four to episode five of the Star Wars franchise. He did unfortunately regress in episode six. (laughs) He, of course, then did receive the Mark Hamill Regression Award, unfortunately, but hey, that's okay. We're staying positive this time around. And that is the Mark Hamill Most Improved Actor of the Year. So are there any actors who were just so bad in prior performances who were then fantastic all of a sudden? Maybe they'll regress in the future. I don't know. Right now, who are the nominees for the Mark Hamill Most Improved Actor of the Year? I'm sorry, the honorary Mark (laughs) Hamill Most Improved Actor of the Year. Zach Guilford from Midnight Mass. Jason Momoa in Dune. And Tobey Maguire for Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, man. And I'm passionate here, guys, just like Grammy Malik. I'm passionate about this award because I think Tobey Maguire is so bad in the original trilogy. <laughs> I think his performance is dopey. There's something wrong with his face in the trilogy. <laughs> Somehow he improved that in Spider-Man No Way Home. He endeared me. I fell in love with him. I understood the nostalgia in No Way Home. There is no way I'll be changing my vote from Tobey Maguire. All right. Well, I I like that. So I'm going to go next, Keith, because I think yours is going to require a bit more of an interesting conversation, which I'm very excited to have, I'll be honest. So mine is, look, I'll be honest. I've liked Jace Momoa in the past. You know, I liked being introduced to him as Khal Drogo in Game of Thrones like everybody else. You know, he was fine. You know, he didn't really talk too much, but there was some presence there. Um, But then, you know, it was just a slew of... Like bad action movies, comedies, dramas, and I don't One-liners. know. Yeah, exactly. And even Aquaman, well, I think I like that movie a little bit more than you guys. I don't necessarily love the portrayal. Uh, definitely not in the original Justice League. So look, has he been good in past movies? Sure. But I just think his performance in Dune was like so much better than his past stuff that whenever we talked about giving the honorary Mark Hamill Most Improved Award, he did come to mind. Like, look. um, 
not bad like Austin thinks Toby is. So I can't have that kind of jump. But I got to be honest, you know, Jason Momoa, he really sold that relationship with Timothy Chalamet. And he felt like a mentor. He felt like an incredible fighter. Whenever there was comedic moments, I thought he did sell it. And there was like some really good dramatic and emotional moments. Whenever he makes a sacrifice, you kind of believe it. And I, I can't believe by the end of the movie, I was like, man, I really wish we had a lot more Jace Momoa in that. And that's definitely never something I've said before. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought it was great. Definitely improved from past performances. Yeah, I think my thing with with uh, this nominee is I've never found Jason Momoa to be like really bad in something. I think with Jason Momoa, he's kind of like The Rock. Like if he's in your mm-hmm. movie, you know yeah. what you're getting from his performance. He's always going to kind of going to be this like really cool dude that you like want to hang out with. But is it going to be mm-hmm. like an outstanding performance? Probably not. Um, I do think, though, Dune is probably his best performance to date. So I do still understand the spirit of this award. Well, to, to set you up, Keith, Austin just said something there that stuck out to me. Uh, Jason Momoa. You look at him in the past, and he's like, that's a cool dude. You know what you're getting, which is something nobody's ever said about your nominee, Keith. So <laughs> who you got for us? <laughs> All right. Yeah, we got Zach Guilford. You may know him from Matt Saracen Ugh. from Friday Night Lights or this other random guy in Purge Anarchy. But let's cover Friday Night Lights really quick. I'm, I'm, I'm going to fall in line with Austin here with the way Austin feels about Toby. Just has a punchable face. He's dopey. This is Matt Saracen in Friday Night Lights. He can barely talk. Just like Tobey Maguire he's, in the Spider-Man trilogy. He's so, he's so awkward. He's like, hey, Julie, uh, you want to go out? I'm coach, I want to marry your daughter. Also, just like Tobey <laughs> Maguire and Kirsten Dunst's relationship. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Just, it was always just a cringy moment whenever Matt Saracen came on screen. But yeah, his performance in Midnight Mass was just incredible. I think he really sold the fact that he's this guy... Uh, that just had a terrible, uh, it, that got into a bad situation, was in the wrong place at the wrong time, drinking and driving and, and involuntarily uh, killed somebody while doing so and had to deal with that, go to jail for it, suffer the, all the consequences. Uh, I really enjoyed his performance overall in Midnight Mass. I, I think for sure both Zach Guilford and Jason Momoa have to do more with their performances in, in both of their respective media as opposed to Tobey Maguire and Spider-Man No Way Home. Here's the thing though. The only thing that's asked of Tobey Maguire in No Way Home is, hey, Toby, just be better than you were in the original trilogy. <laughs> and he knocked that out of the park. He is definitely the most improved actor of the year. I know, Keith, maybe you agree with me. We've got to get it off the bat here. I really do genuinely appreciate Austin's like passion for how much he hated <laughs> Toby in the originals, but then how he equally really loved him in No Way Home. And while I, I want to be able to jump on board, because... Austin is right in his head because I can track. I remember him talking about how much he hated him. But my thing is, I don't hate him in the original. So I, as much as I want to be there for my good friend Austin, I don't know if I can uh, vote with that because I never had the same issue. But I do love that Austin turned a corner here. I'm ready to go ahead and vote because we've got a lot more awards to give out here today. We do. And for me, that'll be Toby Maguire. All right. I agree with Austin. I don't want to belabor this point too long. So, Keith... The one thing I'm kind of stuck on is I think the craziest thing that maybe nobody's ever brought up is, look, I don't think Zach Hilford is like terrible in Friday Night Lights, but I do agree with you. It it is kind of cringy. But I will say this. After loving all of Mike Flanagan's like TV projects and movies, whenever they announced Midnight Mass, I was so stoked. And when I saw the trailer and they basically announced that Zach Guilford was not only in it, but was the lead. I was like, oh, no. 
(laughs) (laughs) Who decided that? And the reason that I am officially locking in my vote for Zach Guilford is because after watching the show, I was like, I don't know. I think they nailed it. I don't know who watched Friday Night Lights and was like, this guy should be our lead in this horror show. But that person deserves a raise because he killed it and nobody saw it coming. Yeah, I think it was a perfect role for him. I'd like to see him in in more roles like that and maybe something even different. Um, I think he definitely has potential to go on and do some great things. So I'm going to throw a vote to Zach Guilford. And for the honorary Mark Hamill Most Approved Actor of the Year award, the winner goes to Zach Guilford. Congratulations. Congrats, Zach. Toby got snubbed. Toby got snubbed. (laughs) Toby. (laughs) (laughs) Love Toby. All right, guys, let's get into a serious one. Looking at the nominees, I'll be honest, I think this one's going to go pretty quick, but let's just make sure. Let's just make sure. So, of course, we're discussing the best television show of the year. Who do we got, my friends? Midnight Mass, directed by Mike Flanagan. Midnight Mass, directed by Mike (laughs) Flanagan. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Wow. Unprecedented. Two nominations for Midnight Mass. Very exciting. And WandaVision, all the way back from the beginning of the year, directed by Matt Shackman. Yeah, I mean, Midnight Mass has already taken home two awards so far on this show. Uh, And I think it's just going to take home another one because I can't stand believe it is the best TV show of 2021. The interesting one for me is I wanted to throw WandaVision in there, and I don't even think it's the best MCU show that we covered, as crazy as that sounds. I think something like Loki might be better. But I think I wanted to nominate WandaVision because of the tone and precedent it's set. And even though we kind of talked about when reviewing it that it wasn't always consistent along its nine episodes, I just thought the story they were trying to tell, the format in terms of changing up like the TV style, like decade wise as each episode went on, and that like there was a really dark, traumatic and scary story at its core with the relationship between Wanda and Vision and how that kind of unfolded and you had to accept death and what you're seeing wasn't real. I mean, it was way more kind of fucked up than I thought it would be. And it kind of made me excited for the MCU TV shows to come. So I wanted to throw a nomination to it. I honestly think I would vote for Midnight Mass as well. I think it was the best TV show, but I wanted to give WandaVision some love because I think it did a lot right. Yeah, I actually think WandaVision was my personal favorite MCU MCU show of all the things that we covered last year. Um, Just like you said, Matt, the tone, the performances, the impact it has for the future of the MCU was really important to me. And um, I, I just thought it was a blast. And I think the way they kept you kind of in suspense throughout the whole show worked really well, too. Uh, the only thing is Midnight Mass, I think, did all those things with tone, yeah. performances, suspense, and being scary just so much better than mm-hmm. WandaVision and really um, kept me enthralled for the duration of the show and was mm. just a super fun binge and perfect for the Halloween season. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you guys. Yeah, I would say... Loki and WandaVision are probably a tie for me as far as MCU, but Wanda is definitely, I think, a close second as far as overall show goes throughout 2021. And just the characters they brought in were just so cool. Uh, and I think we might we might see some of those later on in this award ceremony, maybe not. But the comparison between uh, Wanda and Midnight Mass, I think Wanda just kind of started dying out for me towards the end, mm-hmm. whereas Midnight Mass, it got even better as it went on. So uh, that's why I'll lean a little bit more towards that. Yes, even though I nominated WandaVision, like I said, I think you guys are right. Um, Just wanted to show it some love with the nomination. But overall, I think the best television show of the year, kind of by far for me, was Midnight Mass. So it definitely gets my vote. All right. Well, the winner of best television show of the year is, of course, Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass. This guy just only makes hits for Netflix. 
Not only does he only make hits, Austin, but he just got three Arn Academy Awards in a row. Look at that. And he might get a fourth. We'll have to see. All right, guys. This next award, I think, is a fun one. And I think it was definitely necessary as it goes along with a lot of themes from our podcast, especially this past year, where we had a lot of pay your writers moments. We did. We did. Um, and we had so much come up in a lot of different episodes that kind of pertain to that. So I wanted to throw out the WTF writing moment of the year. All right. So why don't we run down the nominees? I submitted... The fact that Anna Diarmas is only in No Time to Die for maybe five minutes. What were they thinking? Potentially crazier, I submitted the entire Godzilla storyline from Godzilla vs. Kong. <laughs> and I have Anthony Michael Hall as Tommy <laughs> Doyle in the Halloween franchise. <laughs> These are all really good, I feel like. <laughs> oh, dude, I gotta say, Keith, when, when I saw that you wrote this award down here on our, on our shared document, I was like, who is that character? And I just it totally wiped Tommy Doyle from my mind because I thought it was really? so bad. He was like the main character of the movie for some reason. <laughs> Ugh, so bad. I had to look it up. Like, who is he talking about? And then I was like, oh my God. And all these memories came flowing back. It was like I repressed it. <laughs> Evil dies tonight. <laughs> Since you started at Austin, let's just start off with him then. Yes, let's start with him. We start off in Halloween Kills with... Anthony Michael Hall giving a speech on Halloween. At a talent show. At a talent show. Yes, which takes down the entire mood of the, of the whole bar. And then grabs a bat that was prized possession of this bartender. Yes. And grabs the bat to go beat up Michael, who actually wasn't Michael. It was a Ben Franklin looking guy. <laughs> What's y'all's thoughts on Anthony Michael Hall? I think he's going to run away with this award, honestly. And it may be the only award Anthony Michael Hall gets in his career, but he's awful as Tommy Doyle. <laughs> and I think the writing for the character is equally as bad. Right, right. The problem with the character is that they try to do this commentary on like mob mentality, which I actually do think kind of works when you think about it in relation to Michael Myers terrorizing a town. But there are just so many plot holes that we talked about on our Halloween Kills episode. He's just willy-nilly handing out weapons Ugh, to children. That's the first one. The first one that comes to mind is him giving shotguns to two kids, which, fine, I guess. But then where it gets weird is they get to where they think Michael is, and they have to do the classic, all right, gang, let's split up. And he doesn't say, all right, young kid, you come with me. He goes to his like friend all right, other adult, you and me, we'll go that way. And then, oh yeah, you two kids, I guess you pair up and you go the other way. Like, they don't even go with the kids. They're just like, okay, bye. <laughs> it was terrible. And then, of course, the main moment is after he is directly responsible for getting this innocent person that isn't Michael Myers killed, he just goes and it's like, eh, that's fine. Let's we'll, we'll just try again. You know, we, we got it wrong the first time. We'll get it next time. What? A disastrous choice. <laughs> the only good writing choice they made in regards to him was they killed him at the end. But that's the best I can say. <laughs> for, the, for the writers of No Time to Die, how yes. are you not watching Anna Diarmas' performance while you're filming this movie and going, hey, she may, maybe she should have a bigger part. She's uh, the best part of the movie and she's in and out. I know. It's such a shame. We had such a cool like action scene with her and James in that one like fancy bar or mm -hmm. hotel, whatever. And... The, the banter was so fun. Them drinking and taking shots, that was so funny. Awesome. The character was really fun. Yeah. The character was awesome. And you're just like, it gets you pumped up for like the rest of the movie. Like, hell yeah. This is just going to be a really fun character. And then she just leaves. It's also like extra tragic because of the way the like Bond franchise works. It's like, well, they're going to recast. Are they going to like recast the other side characters? So 
are you telling me that we might only ever see her in this role in this five minute stretch of the movie? Ah, mistake. But for me, a potentially bigger mistake, while I love Anna de Armas, their mistake only cost us five minutes of that three plus hour movie. At least that's how long it felt. Another three plus hour movie, because it was all mostly terrible, was Godzilla vs. Kong. I know you guys disagree with me there, but where I think you might agree, Godzilla 2014, actually pretty good movie. Godzilla King of the Monsters, not a good movie, but the Godzilla stuff in that movie is chef's kiss. Exceptional. And all the other monsters are really cool. Oh, yeah. And then on Godzilla vs. Kong, the movie just starts and he's destroying and killing innocent people. It's like, oh. That seems like something that needs a bit more of a backstory. And then the movie continues to go on. They give us this really interesting Hollow Earth story with King Kong. It's like, wow, I'm so glad King Kong's back. And then every time they cut to Millie Bobby Brown, the kid from Deadpool 2, and Brian Tyree Henry, who's a really great actor, giving his worst performance of his career. <laughs> it's just them following Godzilla with Millie Bobby Brown going, I love him. I hel he helped me once. I he's not a bad guy. And then they just keep following. And it turns out the reason Godzilla was so angry that he had to blow up multiple towns in Florida, which maybe that was for the best, um, <laughs> was because... A maniac was building Mecha Godzilla, and the person operating it was the son of Ken Watanabe's character, but they never say that in the movie. You might call that a bad writing moment. I certainly would. And then Godzilla and Kong fight for some reason, and then they Batman v Superman team up for a second at the end. and Both of their animal mothers were named Martha. It was such a downer for me. <laughs> the movie as a whole, but the Godzilla storyline in particular made... No sense to me at all. Very weird choices in that film. Um, I got to say, though, I think Keith really nailed it with his nomination here. The Tommy Doyle character in Halloween Kills, for me, is the most WTF writing moment of the year, and it's getting my vote. Yeah, I, I like how you phrase that, and I think it goes another point in Keith's corner for just endaming the award, because even though I hated the Godzilla storyline, for some reason I was never thinking to myself, why the fuck did they do this? But I was thinking that for every scene Tommy <laughs> Doyle was in. So I think you might be right. I think I'm going to have to go ahead and lock my vote in for Tommy Doyle as well. And I think with Anna Diarmas, you really only notice it when it's like, man, she was in a lot of the trailers, yeah. but she's not in the movie. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I love the way you phrase that, Matt. With Tommy Doyle, the whole time I was like, what is this character? <laughs> what were they thinking here? All right. So for the WTF writing moment of the year, the winner goes to Anthony Michael Hall as Tommy Doyle in the Halloween franchise. Congratulations, Tommy Doyle. I hope uh, I hope evil never dies tonight for you. Well, he did. He, he died, so. <laughs> so it'll live on somehow. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about a few movies that surprised us this year. Um, and that's the spirit of this award. What was the most surprising movie of the year? And the nominees are... Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. The Suicide Squad. And Zack Snyder's Justice League. Right off the bat, didn't realize this until we said it out loud, but three comic book movies in the age where oh, yeah. these are like the biggest things in the world. I think it's kind of interesting that for an award about the most surprising, who would have thunk that we kind of thought these might be bad or not good, but maybe that's just a sign of how many of these movies they make. So we're getting a little bit tired of them potentially, but these are three good ones for sure. I think for me with the Snyder Cut, I mean, the three of us have probably had 
hours and hours of conversation about this particular project, both on the podcast and off the podcast. And leading up to the movie, it was always, I mean, there's what, five hours of footage? Can it really be that different? Did they really cut that much out of the movie? I'm glad it's coming out for Zack Snyder, but it's still like the core of the movie is going to remain the same. So it's not going to be that good. And I was so surprised at one, how different of a movie Zack Snyder's Justice League is from the theatrical cut and just how good it was and how fun I had. I think it is probably one of the like most comic booky things I've ever seen, maybe compared to Watchmen. And it just totally blew me away when we got to watch it. And I was so surprised at how much I enjoyed it coming out of, uh, of viewing it on HBO Max. Yeah, um, I guess I'll start by saying I have not seen Shang-Chi yet, so I, I guess I can't sit on, on that conversation. But yes, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Austin, as far as Zack Snyder's Justice League goes, because I think we were all not big fans of the first one that came out. And yeah, like you said, it's a completely different movie. I didn't know they were going to add in as much as they did or take out as much as they did. Um, so I think the editing, which is perfect, um, and really told the story in a way better, more structured way. And then going to the Suicide Squad, this one was more just surprising for me because I just didn't enjoy the first one that came out. And so I was kind of going into this one, you know, skeptical. But no, I really enjoyed it. I think the characters they added were all very fun. And uh, yeah, it was just a good, clean, fun comic book movie. Yeah, um, I think for me, the reason I wanted to nominate Shang-Chi is because while I love the MCU, and Austin and I got the chance to see this one together, so I know we've talked about it before, but I think I've gotten really, really tired specifically of the Marvel origin story formula. It just feels like the exact same thing, even in movies that are really good, like Black Panther. I think if you extract a few bits, it kind of feels like Iron Man, Doctor Strange, Thor, Captain America, like they all just follow the exact same beats and then they end the exact same way. And all of the third acts are terrible. <laughs> like, that's the thing that everybody talks about these movies, right? Um, and going into Shang-Chi, I, I also had the extra element of never even hearing of the character before. I, I am kind of, you know, familiar with comics and a lot of storylines, but this character just passed me by. I didn't know much about them. So I was like, extra, like, what's it even going to be about? Uh, but it's just a Marvel origin story, so I'm sure it's just going to be kind of bland and whatever. And what we ended up getting is one of, honestly, maybe the best like Marvel origin story in terms of what felt the most fresh to me. The characters were fantastic. Simi Liu, Aquafina had incredible chemistry. Then you get Tony Young as the Mandarin, a.k.a. Wen Wu, I guess, who I think is one of the most complex and layered villains we've ever gotten in the MCU and the action. It's just like a genuinely well choreographed martial arts film. Like it's just so well shot. Um, and the best thing, I mean, I just talked about the third act thing. The third act of this movie, also, I don't remember if you agree or not. It kind of ramps up to this incredible um, final act in a new setting. And it goes from a martial arts movie. It retains that. But then it kind of goes to what you expect from like MCU like level scale of action, but it feels earned and it's so badass. And I was just like shocked watching the movie. I loved it. I would love to give it an award for like being great. Um, I think there were better movies this year, but in terms of surprise, this is the one that came to me because we've seen like 30 MCU projects and this one really like stands out. It's one of my favorites. I remember just being so underwhelmed by the trailers and, and not really being excited for Shang-Chi and then coming out, having really enjoyed it. I think the third act, like you said, Matt, is, ex is a, especially a standout. And I think it probably has one of the best Marvel origin villains to yeah. date that they've ever done. Um, and then, Keith, to go into your thoughts on the Suicide Squad, I remember just being really 
cautiously optimistic for this one, but it, it was one of those things like, I'm ready to get hurt again with another DC movie that I'm excited <laughs> for that probably won't be good. And then we ended up having a blast, the three of us watching it together. It's so funny. Um, all the new characters that they introduced and then brought back from the original were great and just a really standout Harley Quinn moment too in that movie. So I think we've got three really good nominees here. The one thing I would say against the Suicide Squad, it's kind of what I just said with Shang-Chi actually, is I would probably lean more towards giving this like one of the top movies of the year award. The reason I might, and I know it's personal, I would lean away from giving it most surprising is because I think we've seen like, you know, a bunch of James Gunn movies. So even though I agree with you, Keith, that the first Suicide Squad was absolute garbage, I think whenever they announced they were doing another one with some of the same actors that we all liked the first time around, and then James Gunn from Guardians of the Galaxy was going to write and direct it, I was like, okay, that actually sounds a bit more interesting. So I guess I was less worried going into it, whereas with the Snyder Cut and Shang-Chi, I was definitely a bit more worried. So that's something that comes to mind for me. I think for me, with both The Suicide Squad and Shang-Chi, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed them, but the, the movies themselves didn't necessarily surprise me. Whereas with The Snyder Cut, I was surprised how different it is, how good the performances are, um, how good, like, like kind of Keith said, the editing, like they cut out so much in the theatrical cut. Um, just every aspect, I think, of the Snyder Cut surprised me. And also just telling like new elements of the plan that Zack Snyder was going to unfold. Like we got new story beats, we got better villains. Every aspect of that movie surprised me. So I'll help us out here and just kind of start us off. I think I'm actually going to lean a little bit more towards Zack Snyder's Justice League. I think you guys both nailed it on the head that, yeah, I think it was the most anticipated for sure. We were waiting for it for a long time. And then what we got was way more than what I think we were expecting. It actually lived up to the hype, yeah, which is it hard did. to do. And maybe more. Yeah, I think we got a lot more than what I was expecting. So as far as the most surprised, that one I think will take it. Yeah, I will additionally throw my vote for Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah, man. Uh, with the Snyder cut, and I think I talked about this on the episode, was I feel like I was always on an island a little bit when talking about the Joss Whedon theatrical cut. I don't love it. I would never say that. But whenever it got like all this vitriol saying, oh, my God, fuck that movie. I was like, look, I like Zack Snyder, too. I wish he would have gotten to finish his vision. But this movie, it's bland at best. Right. It's not bad. Everybody calling it like the worst movie ever. Like, no. So coming from that viewpoint and then watching Snyder Cut, where admittedly when they announced it, I was like, oh, man, of course, I'll watch it. I guess I'll watch all four hours. But. They're just, you know, it's going to be the same bullshit from Man of Steel and BVS. And I think genuinely, how was so much cut out from the original? How do they get so much story into this? For four hours, it flew by. I think it went from being a mediocre movie to probably the best DCEU movie. I think it's genuinely kind of fantastic. I think the ending is kind of stupid in terms of the editing, where it's just like they keep showing you like, Oh, here's another nightmare sequence. Oh, here's Martian Manhunter. <laughs> that that's like the only complaint I have about it. Um, I wouldn't even say it's too long because I think I love almost all of it. So yeah, I gotta vote for it as well. Um, and that's coming from somebody that didn't even hate the original. That's how much the Snyder Cut surprised me in terms of its quality. And with that, we have another unanimous winner, of course. Zack Snyder's Justice League, aka the Snyder Cut. You've won. You're taking home the most surprising movie of the year award. Release the air cut. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I don't know if we have a chance at that one. <laughs> all right, guys. So some of our favorite episodes that we like preparing for. 
is the bracket episodes. We put 12 movies up against each other to see who comes out on top, all from different genres or certain themes. So I think we're going to try to give out a Best Bracket Winner Award today. I think we all three chose a winner or nominee uh, from a different bracket throughout the year. So let's uh, run those down. All right. I submitted About Time from the Romantic Comedies bracket this year. I submitted The Godfather Part 2 from the Best Best Picture Winner bracket of the year. And I submitted Beetlejuice from the Halloween bracket this year. I think Keith is really trying to piss me off because we got into a huge fight on the Halloween bracket episode this year. The fact that Beetlejuice beat out the thing. And now Keith is trying to get back into that on this episode is what it seems like. I will I will acquiesce a little bit to Austin. I will show a little bit of a regret I have. I will say if we had if we had seen About Time versus Godfather Part Two versus The Thing, I think it would have been a little bit of a better matchup. I will say. I will say. So my, my argument for About Time is pretty simple. I had never seen it before. I didn't really expect to enjoy the rom-com bracket all that much, just because that's not my type of movie. And About Time completely blew me away and quickly became one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. Yeah, can't argue with that. I mean, that was probably one of the cooler moments of the year was seeing how much Austin like loved that movie and was like, I can't wait to watch it again. For me, I don't have as much of um, you know, like passion behind mine. I just picked one of my favorite movies of all time, one of the most like, you know, praised and lauded movies ever. We remember we did our best best picture winner, of course. That was a bracket. We just talked about tons of movies that had won best picture. So obviously most of them were really, really fantastic. And The Godfather Part Two just stands out to me as just one of the most fantastic movies ever made, the way it cuts back and forth between a young Vito Corleone and then how that tran like how that shows how he rose to power versus how Michael Corleone is being corrupted by that family's power in the present and the family dynamics, the way they continue, the Fredo storyline like really sticks out to me as well. I mean, it's just a really amazing story. The editing's fantastic, the directing's great, and for a movie that is you know, decades and decades old at this point, it still really holds up as a pinnacle of acting, writing, directing, editing for sure. So I think it really is kind of the standard for a lot of things that we still see today. The reason I submitted Beetlejuice as a nominee was not so much that I think it's the best movie out of these three, which I'm not sure if we'll be getting my vote. We'll see. Should have gotten your vote on the episode. So, <laughs> Well, Austin, the reason I submitted it because this one had, the, I think, had one of the toughest brawls throughout our bracket to get to where That's it true. got. That's true. That is true. So I think it earned a spot here as a nominee. I do like I do like that point, Keith. Actually, I do like that you're bringing in the element. No, that, that is of a great point. Austin and I are just talking about quality of movie, and you're talking about like the trajectory that one actually took to win. Because about time, and you're right, The Godfather Part Two, they were relatively easy wins in terms of like a unanimous vote. So that's a good point. I didn't think about that. I think the thing that stands out for me about About Time is one: the core relationship of the movie is actually a pretty healthy relationship. Um, in a lot of rom-coms, it's not that. It's like one person is obsessed with the other or, or did something wrong and has to earn back the trust. And it's kind of always a dumb plot in rom-coms. But the cool thing about About Time is like the main characters get together pretty early on in the movie. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the movie is about their life after kind of the romance stuff has fizzled out. And they're just kind of building a life together. And also the relationship between Bill Nye and uh, Donald Gleason in that movie is incredible. It's also, I think, the only movie this year that's actually brought me to tears. Um, and so... For all those things combined, uh, my vote will definitely be about time. Yeah. I think Godfather Part 2, great movie, obviously, and definitely deserved the, the winner of that bracket. But I think I'm going to go with about time. And that's because 
it kind of falls in the middle of what I brought up earlier that, you know, Beetlejuice was a tough brawl to get to where it got. And I think Godfather Part 2 rose to the top pretty quickly. And About Time was kind of right in the middle. I think About Time did have a few scuffles here and there, and then it kind of, but it did kind of make its way to the top uh, fairly quickly. And, and I think that one, I think, just had a lot more passion behind it. <laughs> um, I think all three of us, I remember when we, were, when we were going through that bracket, we were all like super blown away by this movie because I think Matt and I had never seen it before, or Austin and I had never seen it before. And we were all just three blown away by this movie and surprised to how it got to the top. So I think that's why I'm going to throw a, a vote for About Time. Yeah, you know, I was so excited. That was one of my favorite personal moments of the year, and like podcast-wise, to just submit About Time for the rom-com bracket because it's one of my favorites. And to see you guys really, really enjoy it was super fun. Um, but at the same time, even though you guys have already, you know, one with About Time, just to close out my thoughts, I submitted it to the rom-com bracket because, like I said, it's one of my favorite rom-coms. But I would never say it's one of my favorite movies, if that makes sense. While for its genre, I think it's one of the best. For me, The Godfather Part Two is just one of my favorite movies. I think it's one of the best movies. Um, so I'm going to vote for Godfather Part Two, but I am totally fine with About Time winning. All right, so the movie receiving the Best Bracket Winner Award of the year is About Time. Now, guys, I know this is unprecedented, but I am going to challenge you both real quick because I, this just popped in my head. I'm kind of curious. Because we just did, obviously, the holiday movie bracket, uh, and we talked about, well, would Love actually beat Klaus? And if I recall, on the first Arn Academy Awards, we did the best bracket winner, and Klaus ran away with it. Does Klaus versus About Time raise any interesting thoughts for you guys? I, I think I have similar thoughts about Klaus that you have of About Time, or I think Klaus is a really good holiday movie, but I would never say it's one of my favorite movies. And I would say the the reverse about About Time. is It is one of my favorite movies. So I would say About Time is better than Klaus. I think I'd have to agree with Austin. Okay. I think I might lean towards Klaus, but I'm not sure. That one's kind of tougher for me. All right. So we just talked about the best bracket winner, which is, of course, in relation to our podcast. So let's stick with that for a second. Let's talk about our personal favorite or best podcast episode of the year. And the nominees are... Our look back at the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. John Wick. Part one. And the random movie bracket. All right. So for me with Pirates, I just had so much fun. Uh, one, preparing for that episode, and then two, recording that episode. I think that episode has just kind of all the hits for us. It's got a good cold open. And then the base of that recording, we just had like just a ton of fun moments breaking down like the weird choices with both Pirates uh, 4 and 5, talking about Jack Sparrow and Orlando Broom and the fact that Kara Knightley is 17, like we just had a lot of great moments in that episode. And it genuinely is one of my favorites that we've ever recorded. I guess I'll jump in real quick then, because now that I'm thinking about it, Austin, ours are kind of connected. You guys recall, I know we just talked about the bracket winner, but Pirates of the Caribbean won the random movie bracket and we had so much fun talking about it. We were like, God, I wish we could talk about it more. But there's like no reason to. There's no new Pirates movie. And they're like, oh, fuck it. Next week, let's just do an episode about the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. That's what we did. So yeah, that was fun. And I think we had a lot of fun realizing how great Bill Nye is as Davy Jones. Oh, Such a good villain. So good. I, so I submitted John Wick. And I think the reason for it was because I think we just did a really good job of dissecting all of the action scenes in it and just kind of breaking down the lore behind the whole John Wick world. Um, I had a, such a great time recording that one. And I was really excited to go into the next two movies after that, which we did. And then I'm with, I'm with Austin. And Pirates of the Caribbean was probably one of my top ones as well. 
and with the Pirates one, that actually was the start of a new format for our show. Because with, like kind of Keith mentioned with John Wick and Bond, we did do one movie every other week. And with Pirates, we did a whole franchise together. And I think it, it um, unlocked like kind of a new fun style of episode for us to do. Yeah, that's a really great point. That was the thing that stuck out to me when I saw that you nominated Pirates. I think that kind of changed the way we do shows for the second half of the year after that, essentially. And I think it was for the better. Um, and for mine, I know we talked about, you know, just in the last category, the best bracket winner. Despite that and Pirates not being nominated, I think my favorite bracket episode, if that was a not if that was a category, I would absolutely say the random movie bracket. I think it was just another kind of like Austin said for Pirates, like it was just an idea we had on a whim, like, you know, let's talk about a whole franchise. This was kind of the same thing. We've been doing brackets for a while at that point. And we were like, okay, you know, it's been a few months and we did one. We should probably do another one to stay on that cadence. But I mean, it's kind of like a random month. So like, what the hell? There's really nothing we can talk about. Well, what if we just did like, you know, each of us just pick random movies, just pick some of your favorites, some things that maybe they're not like the best movie ever, but they're just kind of fun. We can do a bunch of genres at once. And it's not something that we're going to do every time we do brackets, but I think we had such a good time doing that. It was the first time we really were talking about how like a sci-fi movie versus a romantic comedy was so different. And I think it really got some extra thoughts out of us uh, as opposed to like previous bracket episodes. So that one really was a highlight for me. Um, We got to watch some really, really good movies and some different movies that we wouldn't have gotten to talk about otherwise. So that one stuck out to me. That was one of the most fun times I've had recording and just talking about movies with you guys in recent memory. Yeah, I think my favorite thing about the random bracket was just having weird matchups like Pirates against Pan's Labyrinth, like just conversations (laughs) like that was really fun. Um, And then my favorite thing about the John Wick, both the first episode and then also that series is that's one of the few series we've done where all three of us unanimously loved all the movies. And we just had a lot of fun just kind of geeking out over how good Keanu Reeves is and then how sweet the action is in each one of those films. Yeah. And yeah, I think Keith's right. I think that first episode in particular, we really kind of got into it. I always think about like... us talking about the villain for some reason like we didn't realize how great of a villain that was until watching it this time and talking about it. we had some really interesting conversations about vigo and like the the past that they had together and the way he runs his business and oh i guess john wick worked for him previously like super cool so that was a really great episode too i'm gonna go ahead and toss my vote out for pirates just because Genuinely, it's one of my favorite episodes we've ever recorded, and the fact that it, it kind of helped us figure out a new way to do the show for some of our retrospective episodes, that puts it over for me. I'm going to vote for the random movie bracket. I know it was my nominee, but kind of like Austin just said, it was what he had for Pirates. It was the same for me. I had like the most fun recording last year was on that episode. I do agree that, yes, doing the Pirates episode did unlock a new format for us, which we are going to be carrying over for the rest of 2022, which I'm very excited about. Just a personal, had more fun with random movie brackets, so I'm going to vote for that. I think it was a great conversation, lots of great movies. But I'm curious to see what you say, Keith, because if you throw a vote that – because are you going to vote for John Wick? I don't know where Keith's going. This is the first time where I'm not sure what you're going to vote for. I don't know. You know what? I think I, I think I just found my answer, but it's not by much. It's by a hairline. And I think we're going to have to go with the random movie bracket. Ooh. Yeah, I had a lot of fun recording that one as well. Like you said, the matchups were just so different and unique. And uh, all the movies we submitted were honestly random, funny, funny, weird, different movies. So, I mean, I think I think it was all good matchups. And it was just a great episode and uh, fun to break all those down. And while the Pirates was a fun recording, Pirates probably wouldn't have came if it wasn't for the random movie bracket and finding out we wanted to record that. So 
think that's why it gets my vote. All right. Well, the award that we created and are giving to ourselves, the best podcast episode of the year is The Random Movie Bracket. I will say kind of like how I said with like, I'm looking forward to doing the Pirates type format this year. I'm also really excited because I think at some point in 2022, guys, we got to do another Random Movie Bracket. All right. So sticking with the podcast theme, once again, it is time to award our favorite podcast moment of 2021. So guys, the nominees are our very own Matt Johnson reacting to myself and Keith hating poltergeist in our Halloween bracket. Imagining Macaulay Culkin as Kincaid in Skyfall. And of course, I know he won't like hearing it, but my favorite moment was Austin discovering that he might like old movies. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta say, uh, Keith and I don't agree on a lot on this show. Uh, some, some days I'm wondering if we're even still friends, to be honest. But the fact that we both agreed that Poltergeist is a bad movie, and then hearing Matt's reaction to that because he liked it, is one of my favorite moments of the year. That was a good one because you, it was one of the weird things. Like whenever we do the brackets, we try and like we don't keep it in, you know, the full episode. Like, okay, guys, like I mean, if you're gonna vote for that, then like the next person goes and disagrees. Like we do that kind of thing. But this was one of the weird instances where like the second we got to poltergeist austin just jumped in he was like i hated this movie like this was my least favorite and then keith just kind of like i'm with you man like that one really sucked that did not hold up at all (laughs) and so i was like while you guys were talking i didn't have a chance to jump in i was just thinking "Ah, i wish i hadn't like wasted my time watching it (laughs) because i really liked it i was excited to talk about poltergeist I was excited to talk about some of the notes I made and like my favorite little <laughs> moments. <laughs> it basically, if I recall, that part went, you guys shit on it. And I was like, okay, I mean, yeah, I'll vote for the thing too. I like Poltergeist though. <laughs> and then we just moved on. I think actually, now that I'm thinking about it, um, that is the, technically, that's also the episode where we got uh, my moment because it was, to be fair, I guess mine's kind of a cheat, Austin liking old movies, because it was kind of a slow build over the year, like we talked about with Godfather Part 2 and the Best Best Picture winner bracket in general. But if I recall, it wasn't until he brought up Beetlejuice in the Halloween bracket that Austin eventually admitted, I don't like this because I'm starting to slowly realize that maybe I like older movies and I'm, I'm not I'm mad at you guys. So <laughs> that's where it officially happened. So same episode. I was happy with myself that I still did not enjoy It's a Wonderful Life, though. For that the is true. Bracket. That is true. I've laughed a lot on this podcast, but I don't think I've laughed harder than when we were fantasizing about Macaulay Culkin being in place of Kincaid at the Skyfall mansion in the movie Skyfall and how we just broke that down and kind of went on a rant about it. We even made up lines that he would say and everything like that. I just had a great time with that little moment there. It was the Home Alone 3 that we always thought we should have gotten. If Keith says that he laughs out on this podcast, I probably laugh like loudly twice as more and I hate listening to my laugh. But these were three highlights for sure. I think for me, I got to stick with my nominee, and that's Keith and I hating Poltergeist and Matt reacting to it, just because it's nice to have a peaceful moment with my friend Keith on this show. You know what? I think I'm going to have to also go with Austin's hating Poltergeist moment, because that really was fun just to shit on that movie. And I know Matt was really coming into it uh, with high hopes, but uh, God, it was just so fun to break that down. I think, uh, I don't know. I think I would probably stick with um, Austin loving old movies. I'm changing my own award. He doesn't just like old movies now. Now Austin loves older movies, love so <laughs> I'm just going to stick the knife in and twist it a little bit more and stick with my award. But I'm fine with Poltergeist. It was probably the most like, like I was, the most I was looking around during the podcast recording like, last year. I was like, what? You, what? You guys didn't like it? So, <laughs> that was a good one. 
All right. So the winner of our favorite or best podcast moment of the year is Matthew Johnson reacting to Austin Terry and Keith Baker hating the movie Poltergeist. All right. This next award here, it's very near and dear to our hearts. So we we got to see Mr. Owen Wilson come in on this podcast, uh, I think at least twice this past year, once with uh, Wedding Crashers in our, rom- in our romantic comedy bracket, and then second in the show Loki. And as we know, Owen Wilson always has his famous wow quote that he says in almost every movie and every TV show he's ever been in. So I thought it'd be cool to give an Owen Wilson wow award out to any moments we found that wowed us during the podcast or any movies or TV shows or any characters we might have covered. And with that, let's run down the nominees. Before we get to the nominees, Keith, I just have to say, I love this award because, like you said, it's just a moment that made you go, wow, it can be good, it can be bad, it can really be anything. So I'm liking this one. All right. Our first nominee is Weasel, played by James Gunn's brother, Sean Gunn, drowning in the opening of The Suicide Squad. That's a good one. And of course, we also have something we referenced at the very beginning of the show. Uh, We had Rami Malek being, quote, unfortunately bad in No Time to Die. You got the quote wrong. It's unfortunately very bad. (laughs) Oh, there you go. (laughs) Oh, even better. (laughs) And mine was all of Daniel Craig's creepy pee-pee moments throughout the Bond franchise. There was many, unfortunately. (laughs) And that's a great nominee, Keith, because Daniel Craig's Bond did launch the creepy pee-pee segment for the show. And uh, creepy pee-pee is, of course, anytime we have anything that you can't do in 2022, perhaps. Anything that you look back on a, on a sexual moment and go, eh, that's kind of creepy. That's a creepy peepee moment. Whenever you see a woman, like this is just a random example, not from James Bond or, or anything, of course. Whenever you see a woman that meets a man at a bar, let's say, and all he finds out about her is that she is unfortunately a victim of sex trafficking. And then the scene ends and goes to a different one where they get on a boat and she's taking a shower and he walks in fully erect and naked from behind. And just starts making out with her. Would you call that a creepy peepee moment? I would. It's from the movie called Skyfall. (laughs) (laughs) And sticking with James Bond, I have to say, the reason I saw Owen Wilson wow award and I was like, what can I put for this? What made me go wow? I I was thinking, it's got to be a good thing, right? But then I thought back to watching No Time to Die next to Keith in the theater. And we're, I think I would say Keith Fairley. We like Remy Malik. He's a good actor. I think he's been really good in a lot of stuff and TV and movies. And he gave the most like monotone, bland villain performance that like, I don't know, I can remember in recent memory. It was every single line he said was the exact same. He accomplishes his goal of defeating Spectre about halfway through the movie. And then the rest of it, we had literally, I'm not being hyperbolic, no clue what he was trying to accomplish for the rest of the movie. And after Christoph Waltz's Blofeld Inspector, we were like, well, the best thing about No Time to Die is there's no way they would even like come close to doing a villain as bad. So my Owen Wilson Wow of the Year award is going to this because it was potentially worse. And Ray Malik's also a good actor, and he turned in his career worst performance He was unfortunately very bad, as Austin said, (laughs) and I had no idea what the character was even trying to do the entire time. I think that's my favorite critic's quote of the year, because it summed up his performance perfectly in three (laughs) words. Unfortunately, very bad. I think I'm going to go ahead and throw a vote for 
Rami Malek being unfortunately very bad. That is another one of my favorite moments on our show is getting through those critical reviews. <laughs> and then also just the fact that it's a very easy statement to agree with. That made me go, wow. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to lean that way as well. But I will shout out to Weasel Drowning in the Suicide a Squad. A total shock. I just remember us, us three watching it and we're all like, what? Is that it? <laughs> what just happened? Well, if you remember, the best part is like he falls in and starts drowning, and we're like, "Oh, I guess what? There's no way, right?" And then Michael Rooker saves him. And it's like, "Oh, okay, I guess like they were just doing drama." And then the best part is him pulling Weasel to shore, and then Michael Rooker just going in his voice, "Weasel's dead." <laughs> yeah. It's like, "Oh, I guess he is dead." <laughs> I'll make it unanimous. I think. The critic nailed it. I think that's part of why this gets the wow moment. But also it gets a double wow for sitting through a three-hour movie and every time he's on screen, you're either going, wow, this is atrocious. And then after the fact, whenever you think about Owen Wilson, it's like, yeah, that is a wow. Shrug that off. That was terrible. I guess do better next time, Rami. All right. So officially the winner of the Owen Wilson Wow Award is Rami Malek being unfortunately very bad in No Time to Die. All right, guys, it's time to start wrapping up the show. Let's get to our big hitters. We talk about the good. We talk about the bad. We talk about, in Rami's case, the unfortunately very bad. But let's talk about the fortunately very bad. The best villains of the year. The nominees are Samantha Sloyan, Midnight Mass, Catherine Hahn as Agatha in WandaVision, and Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn, a.k.a. the Green Goblin from Spider-Man No Way Home. All right, so Samantha Sloyan did not win Best Performance, but I do think she should be in consideration for Best Villain. Uh, the way this character is so manipulative and just gets under your skin, then her final moments of the show, where she just reveals how much of a coward she is trying to dig and hide from the sun, her character got under my skin and just made me annoyed in the best way every time she was on screen. Um, I don't think any other villain this year had that effect on me, so that is why I nominated Samantha Sloyan for Midnight Mass. Um, yeah, I nominated Catherine Hahn as Agatha in WandaVision. She just did such a good job of playing this 50s, 60s sitcom, um, innocent kind of neighbor uh, character, but then slowly goes and starts dropping hints that maybe she's not who she seems. And of course, at the end, we get her coming out as a full-blown witch. I think she did such a good job of just portraying that, that innocence mixed with the mystery behind it all. Yeah, so sticking with the MCU, I nominated Willem Dafoe. Um, and I think the main reason why is I always felt like he was an underappreciated, like great villain for the Tobey Maguire uh, specific version of the character. But the fact that he didn't have to change his performance all that much and he still might be the best villain that Tom Holland's Spider-Man, a completely different character had to go up against, is super cool to me. We talked about it recently, of course, when we did our review, but the fact that we actually got to see him be Norman Osborn was kind of surprising. I just assumed he'd be the goblin the whole time and watching him struggle similarly how he did in Spider-Man 1, but a bit better handled and better shot, struggle with his identity and watching that scene where Peter is just trying to save these villains and do the right thing and cure them instead of hurting them, get them the help they need. And you just see his spider sense go off and he like in slow motion starts walking through the apartment and it's like, what's going on? Is somebody about to like jump in? And then he just webs uh, Norman's hand. And then we just started getting those monologues, baby. We start getting Willem Dafoe just telling him, you have the power to do what you want, but you're too weak to do it. It's like, oh, my God. And then watching them have a battle from basically the penthouse of an apartment 
but they are so strong and throwing each other through floors that they end up back on the ground. I don't know, man. I, I don't know how he was somehow better than he was in Spider-Man 1. So good. Yeah, I think my favorite thing about Willem Dafoe's performance is it's kind of just like an updated take with the same actor and same character. Like, it's just more modern than what it was in Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. And that, that's what I loved about it so much. And just seeing that smile when Tom Holland starts punching him oh, might oh. be one of my favorite shots of the year. Yeah, uh, So I thought he was great. I will say, though, Willem Dafoe being the villain in Spider-Man No Way Home was just more so fun for me. Same sure. with Catherine Hahn in WandaVision, where Samantha Sloan, like, genuinely irritated me with how the way she portrayed her character but not in like i thought it was bad just she just makes you so angry when every time she's on screen yeah samantha slam is so good as bev keen you just want to mm -hmm. punch her the entire time it's <laughs> <laughs> like racist the entire time too yeah. <laughs> just another added villain thing and everyone's come across that type of character in their life where they're like twisting their religion to do bad stuff mm -hmm. and uh i think she just captured that perfectly it's tough for me i think Austin made a great point there i think even though I think Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin was pretty exceptional. I can agree that it is mostly just kind of, you know, really fun and awesome to see him back. Um, and a lot of the movie, either he's not in it or he's Norman. So you don't get a lot of like the villainous Green Goblin. Just the right amount, though. But you are right. Kind of Samantha Sloyan as Bev Keen really is kind of this kind of a presence you're indifferent to at the beginning of Midnight Mass. But then over the course of like what, maybe eight, nine episodes, whatever it was. It becomes one of the most like sadistic villains, like we said earlier in her other category, without ever going overboard. Like she just seems like something that isn't real or like a, a person that you wouldn't come across. So that that is something that's intriguing me about potentially voting that direction. As much as I love Willem Dafoe and Catherine Hahn as her characters, I think I might have to throw a vote to Samantha Sloan at Midnight Mass. I think she just brought the she brought the hammer down just a little bit more and just brought a little bit more uh, weight to her character. And just the fact that the whole time you just want to you just want to punch her and just just yell right in her face of how wrong she is. So I'm going to have to throw a vote to her. I will also be throwing a vote to Samantha Sloan at Midnight Mass. Yeah, I loved all three of these performances. Um, but when it comes to the best villain in terms of how the writing handled them, how like the direction, the acting, all that combined, I think I would probably also give the edge up to Samantha Sloan as Bev Keen at Midnight Mass. So, yeah, I'll make it unanimous once again. And the winner of Best Villain of 2021 is Samantha Sloan, Midnight Mass. Man, Midnight Mass's fourth award of the day. Look at them go. Who would have thunk? All right, guys, it's time for our final two awards. Uh, most award shows, I feel like, end positive, but we're going to save the worst for last, you might say. So let's get into it. The best movie of the year. All right. And the nominees are, for Best Movie of the Year, Riders of Justice. Spider-Man, No Way Home. And Tick, Tick, Boom. Yeah, so for me with Riders of Justice, uh, one, I think Mads Mikkelsen is just incredible in that movie. But the thing that I really love about Riders of Justice is it has that John Wick feel. It somehow is weirdly a Christmas movie. It touches okay. on mental health. Um, it makes you think about, like, should, you, should vengeance be all-consuming? I think it just kind of sticks with you, and it is a very thought-provoking movie, and it combines all these unexpected elements. Um, and it just really... One, it surprised me, and I just ended up loving it through and through this year. Yeah, Spider-Man No Way Home, I think, has got to take the cake from me um, as far as one of the best movies that's come out this year uh, for me. Uh, I just had such a good time with it in the theater. I just I can't wait till it comes out uh, streaming so I can watch it again. Uh, it's, just, it's one of those movies I just wanted to rewatch right away. 
and they just brought so much nostalgia into it, but then also built that in with the with the modern day MCU and just structured it so well and all the characters um I think just blew their performances out of the park in this one. So and I, yeah, I just had such a great time a great and fun time with it. Yeah, I can't disagree with anything you guys have said so far. Um I nominated Tick Tick Boom. Um I didn't know it was a musical going in. I'm not the biggest fan of musicals, but this one really intrigued me. Obviously, I know it's based on a play, but getting to find out the story that I had no idea about, about Jonathan Larson, the guy that probably most famously created Rent and finding out that he unfortunately passed away right before that premiered. And this is a story about a different play and musical that he had written and directed and acted in, Tick, Tick, Boom. And it's this weird movie that's about that, but it also flashes back to his previous failures and successes and shows how he got to where he was at. And then the movie has like an extra element of like, we know now, because this is like a 2021 movie that he made Rent. So throughout this movie, you actually get to see like his workplace, his coworkers, his best friends, his family, the elements um, that kind of influenced him to create a story like that. And Andrew Garfield, I think, gives, I mean, probably the performance of his career. I thought he was pretty phenomenal in this movie in every single scene. He carries the movie so, so well. The co-stars I thought were also fantastic. Like I did mention earlier, I don't think every single one of the musical numbers are hits, but when they do hit, they're awesome. Watching them like uh, dance and sing at their workplace and watching it kind of lead outside. And it's just this random song about really nothing, but it still has a fun, real beat to it. It's really exciting. And you just like the characters a lot and watching him succeed and fail and try and get his musical stuff off the ground. And it doesn't really work, but he learns more along the way. Um, I thought it was an incredibly interesting story. Um, I don't think it's perfect, like we talked about on our review, but it was one that really did impress me. And I think it definitely kind of uh, earned my nomination pretty easily, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I got to say, I um, almost submitted Tick, Tick, Boom as well. Uh, And then looking back through our list, Rise of Justice kind of stood out to me. Um, I don't think a movie has kind of stuck with me this year quite like Tick, Tick, Boom is. I I find myself putting on the soundtrack all the time and just thinking about um, the performances in the movie and just the message of, you know, pursuing your dreams and that sort of stuff. Um, I I really was blown away. And um, I think beyond Hacksaw Ridge, I think you're right, Matt. I think this is one of Andrew Garfield's best movies he's ever done. Yeah, I do think it's one of Andrew Garfield's best performances, but it still is not one of my favorite movies. I don't know if I'm really going to want to rewatch it, to be honest. It's just not my thing and musicals have never been my thing so that's probably why well i do think the story was interesting but i still think they should have uh dove more uh, in detail as far as like the creating of the plays and i think they the story itself kind of dragged a little bit for me i do think spider-man no way home for me would probably win the most fun movie of the year um i think at the end of the day though i, I gotta go with the one that stuck with me the most and i'll vote for tick tick boom All right, well, I'll jump in then, because this, I think, is about to get really interesting. Um, If I have to, I'll vote for mine. But honestly, after hearing Austin talk about and kind of reminding me and thinking about Riders of Justice, how that movie handled trauma, but then there was still kind of this really well-balanced comedy to it with the guys that find out what's really going on and come to Mads Mikkelsen's character, and then they're working to try and figure out um, why they're in danger, what's really going on, what actually caused this train accident. Like, it becomes a really kind of goofy movie that, like Austin said, still has serious, like, really messed up drama and, at times, John Wick action. I mean, insane how they handled all that. Um, 
I agree with Austin that Spider-Man No Way Home, I would vote for most fun of the year. But if I had to vote for best, even though I submitted Tick, Tick, Boom, I did have some issues with the editing and kind of the way it wrapped up super fast. So I can't I can't believe I'm saying it, but I think I might switch uh, Austin. <laughs> I might go Riders of Justice. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm going to have to stick with my guns and, and stay with Spider-Man No Way Home. I think it was overall just a great movie. Like I said, so much fun. Can't wait to rewatch it. Loved all the characters. Loved how they progressed the story. There you go. Spider-Man, no way home. Well, here's the thing. Matt uh, did a good job of selling me back on my own nominee. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I will switch my vote back to Riders of Justice for best movie of the year. Uh, okay, so officially, we'll lock it in. The Arnie's Podcast Best Movie of the Year 2021 is Riders of Justice. That's Mickelson. That guy needs to work more. I know he works a lot, but I need him in more stuff. All right, like I said earlier... Most award shows would end with the best, but not here at the Arnie. So, Keith, what you got for us? Yeah, sorry to bring in the negative here at the end, but (laughs) we do got to cover this as well. And this is going to be the worst movie of the year. So let's run down the the nominees. All right. So the worst of the worst. (laughs) My nominee is Halloween Kills. I'll uh, throw out Mortal Kombat. And I'll do Without Remorse. Ugh, we got three stinkers here. Here's the deal, man. Halloween kills. <laughs> Tommy Doyle already won the WTF writing moment of the year. I think we got to also give this movie in general the worst movie of the year. I think I actually opened with that for that episode was you that did. I thought you this did. was the worst of the year. It's just so bad, especially coming off a bit of the momentum that the first remake had. What was yeah. it? Just Halloween or something? Yeah. Um, You can tell that they had a plan for the third one, but didn't have a plan for the middle. And it definitely shines in this script. Um, without remorse, I think it's terrible as well, but it does have that standout plane crash sequence. So that's going to edge it. Like that's going to make me think it's slightly better than Mortal Kombat and Halloween kills. Cause that plane crash is really cool. Mortal Kombat. I just found forgettable. I also think it's equally bad, but there is nothing as offensive or terrible to me as Halloween kills was this year. I do agree with all the bad moments we covered in Halloween kills. Like the Anthony Michael Hall thing was so dumb. It was the worst one of the franchise for sure, but I still was entertained by it in a, in a, in a way because I was still wondering what was going to happen with Michael Myers. <laughs> yeah, I know, but that's how I feel about Without Remorse. Uh, and like you said, Austin, the only good part of that movie was the plane crash scene. Everything else, I think, was complete garbage. I thought Michael B. Jordan was overacting and trying way too hard to be this like action hero. I just it just wasn't believable. The action wasn't that original. It just felt like your normal go-to, I'm a guy who my family got killed, I gotta go get revenge kind of story. Yeah, um, the worst thing I can say about Mortal Kombat is, man, that trailer looked awesome. They were really selling us all those good bits, and whenever they released, oh, hey, check out the first 10 minutes of Mortal Kombat. I was like, okay. And I watched the video, I was like, wow, look, Scorpion and Sub-Zero, this is so interesting, the action's so good. And what I unfortunately forgot to think about was, the reason they only showed the first 10 minutes is it's the only good 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> the rest of the movie is unfortunately, as one famous critic might say, very bad. Um, the action sucks. They have this weird main character who isn't from the Mortal Kombat games, even though there are other point of view characters in the movie that they could have chosen to follow and instead follows this completely bland performer and just character in general. And did you guys also wonder if a Mortal Kombat movie would feature the Mortal Kombat tournament? These guys didn't think so. Uh, that's going to come <laughs> in the sequel that we'll probably never get. So this movie, 
it sucked. But I do have to say, without remorse and Halloween kills might be worse. So I'm still trying to figure out what to do here. The main thing that edges out Halloween kills for me above these two terrible movies is that without remorse, like I said, has that that plane sequence you can point to. Immortal Kombat has that good opening you can point to. I can't point to a single positive <laughs> thing about Halloween Kills. Even Jamie Lee Curtis is bad in Halloween Kills. And for, for some reason, she's in five minutes of the movie. They gave the main point of view character to Tommy Doyle, a character that nobody cared about in the original movie. I was rooting for him to die. I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that, Austin, because that's what I was going to bring up as well. One thing, one thing that we didn't talk about a lot about Halloween Kills was the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis was just yelling in her hospital bed the whole time, like, Get Michael! <laughs> Get my gun! <laughs> Halloween Kills is the only movie in the Halloween franchise that genuinely made me root for Michael Myers during the movie. <laughs> well, Austin, it came true at the end because he killed almost everybody in the town. <laughs> I can't believe we forgot also, quick honorable mention, how did we forget about the true best podcast moment of the year, which was listening to Austin's description of the Big John, Little John scene in Halloween Kills. <laughs> When they were playing Marco Polo and they were trying to find an intruder, but they decided to search different floors of the building. And Austin just going, Big John, Little John, Big John, no, no. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you feel, Keith. I, I, I kind of agree with you in terms of the actual experience watching Halloween Kills because I did have that weird enjoyment factor, too. But I I could never argue that the movie is like not terrible because it is. So I don't know. I think just with how it's a combination of recording that episode, watching the movie um, and being like you said, Austin, so shocked because Halloween 2018, I was blown away by, to be honest, as a remake and so excited to watch the next one and then watching it and being Oh, so disappointed. I, I don't know. Maybe that's the worst movie of the year. I'm not sure. Without Remorse was bad, but it had some okay action moments. I, it was really bland and Mortal Kombat, I kind of feel the same. So I don't know. Maybe I'm leaning towards Halloween Kills. I'm going to put this conversation in both the years' hands because I will hands down be voting for Halloween Kills. You know, I think, I think Without Remorse is a garbage movie. I never want to watch it again. But I'm going to vote for Halloween Kills as well. Oh. That's, that's because we covered it so much. There's so many inside jokes about it that we have now um and i think we just were always laughing about how bad it is even though it did entertain me but I, we're always laughing about how bad it is so i mean it's gotta win the worst movie of the year you know what let's end on another unanimous i have to agree i think all three of these are truly bad but halloween kills i think may have taken it to another level so it gets my vote as well all right well to cap off our award ceremony with the worst movie of the year the winner and we did a good job here. The worst movie of the year is Halloween Kills. Evil dies tonight. All right. Well, we are uh, going to start closing out the show here, but I think we just got to say to everybody listening and everybody that gave our show a chance this year, thank you so much for checking us out. We had a blast in 2021. Uh, we're kind of finalizing the schedule now for 2022. And I got to say, I think just based on what we're going to be covering and talking about, 2022, I think is going to be even better than everything we did this year. So, I'm looking forward to everything we did, but as always, thank you so much for listening to our show and, and, and keep checking us out in the coming weeks. Same thing for me. I really appreciate all the listeners out there that tune in every week. Um, I've had a blast these past two years. I just I can't believe it's that it's been that long since we started this whole deal. And I just want to shout out something. I want to, and you guys might agree with me, might not. I think you will. Should we dedicate this episode 
to Miss Betty White. We cover movies, we cover TV on this podcast, and I think we should dedicate this episode to Betty White, who just passed away on New Year's Eve. She was a, I would say, an American and cultural icon, especially in the, the movie and TV world. So just wanted to shout that out. I like the sentiment, Keith, but I got to say, I think we should dedicate any and all of our episodes to Mark Hamill. Ooh, you're right. <laughs> any and all. Sorry, Betty. <laughs> Sorry, Betty. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> I think Mark Hamill would understand. <laughs> he would go, even he would be like, yeah, I think I should get the one up there. Um, but yeah, I, of course, agree with the sentiments. Thank you guys so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. 2021 was our first full year. And... um it was a blast. I think with the uncertainty of COVID and everything, that's kind of what prompted us to start finally doing something recorded, which, you know, obviously evolved into a podcast and then continuing that um, it became a really fun outlet, I would say, uh, for us to, to obviously hang out, even though we already do a lot, but to have these conversations and to see people out there enjoying them and commenting and kind of joining was super, you know, just awesome to see. So I'm super looking forward to 2022 going to be doing some of the same but of course we also have a lot of new ideas all like austin said finalizing the schedule i took a look at it pretty recently and i was like yeah i'm really excited lots of good stuff on here so stick with us it's going to be a good time and with that also don't forget to hit that follow button so you never miss an episode also if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend we really would appreciate that so we continue to grow our show please leave us reviews as well even if you don't want to write anything leaving us a five-star review on apple Podcasts, spotify or just wherever you get your podcast, that really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back next week to discuss our most anticipated movies and TV shows coming out in 2022. Yeah, lastly, we want to hear from you. So please send us a message on Instagram at The Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. What was your favorite movie of the year? Is Mark Hamill a good actor? Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. That's right. We hope you enjoyed our awards. We hope you're looking forward to 2022. I know we are, and we'll see you soon. See ya. Bye, everybody. I uh, never want to see another Halloween movie ever again. <laughs> <laughs>